Swung on high this fly. is tagged by Hammer to the gap. At the track. High and deep and to the right. That ball just got Tonight out of here. Was hit a this is going to go to the rock This ball's getting small. This is charged. Right back at the track. Seems like the ball's had a lot of life the last couple of nights. We could go back to back. Here's Adam Engel. Swinging a long one to left. We're going to have a tie ball game. He did go back to back. High and deep. This is crushed the left center field. This is going to go for a home run. Way out of here. This is is White Sox Weekly. From our standpoint, there's a lot to be excited about at this point in the season. Very, very pleased with the progress of players such as Yohan Moncada. Missile in the gap, left center field. Abreu's racing home. Moncada racing for third with Jimenez scoring in front of him on a two-run double. And Tim Anderson, Lucas Giolito. We've seen progress from Eloy. And you say Granny? That's driven in the air, deep in the right field. It is gone! A grand slam, you ask, and you receive. I think we're ready come this offseason and next year to take that next step and, and head deeper down the path towards competitiveness and ultimately winning championships. Turn on the fireworks! The Chicago Baseball Conversation on the flagship home of the Sox. 720 WGN. It is a special edition of White Sox Weekly Post Bears on a... Sunday evening, a two-hour end-of-season special, our final two-hour show of the year, and then it's on to the standard one-hour in the off-season that we do. KP, Kevin Powell joining me in studio. Good to see you, Kevin Powell. Love a good two-hour White Sox <laughs> weekly grand finale to wrap the season up. I mean, it's, an, it's an, a little bit emotional. Alan Poppy producing the program. My name is Mark Harmon. <laughs> uh, 72 and 89. That is a 10-win improvement from 2018. KP, I think you covered, what, about 60 of the games this year? You yeah, were, roughly about that, I'd say. It was quite, quite a few. You, do you have a, a, a highlight that stands out as we kick off the show today? The day that we were out there, Roe and I and Lauren were out there for that doubleheader game uh-huh. where it was Cease in game one, yeah, and then game two was capped off with an Eloy walk-off, correct? Is that right? That Eli- sounds that sounds right. It ceased like he got he was dicey in the first inning, but then he got through it. Then he started right. to roll. It was just a great uh, it was just a great day at the ballpark. It was a beautiful day. The crowd was buzzing. I believe Matt Nagy threw the first pitch there. So there's the Bears were in between that. So it was just such a fun day out of the ballpark. And I think that's one thing to note with this season as well is there are individual moments that you can look back on that were that you can really feel where the team is headed. Like the Eloy moment against the Cubs at Wrigley. A huge coming out party for Eloy, right? If he really even needed a coming out party. But that night was was pretty special. Against his former team, under the lights. There were so many storylines. The Sox are rebuilding into to turn into what the Cubs did. There were so many parallels you can draw from it with a lot of these young stars. And then you see the stars that the Cubs have. And then you see where the Sox can go with their stars. The Moncadas, Eloy's, Tim Anderson. Um, I just thought it was... I know it's 72 wins. I think there were some stretches there where a lot of fans get frustrated because they they lose patience or they forget to have the patience and remind themselves that it is a rebuild. But overall, I thought the year, all things considered, it's a 72-win year, but all things considered, it was still about individual growth this year, and they got a ton of it. I'm thinking back to that Eloy home run night, and I was doing my in my the Carm exit interviews on the last Sunday of the year, I'm going around and asking guys, your same question I just asked you, favorite moment of the year. Uh-huh. And Aaron Bummer teed up the Eloy homer. And he had, he had already pitched. He was sitting in the dugout. Eloy hits the homer in the ninth. He's pointing. Weren't you sitting in the front row that night, Kevin Powell? We were. I was with Roe, Anna, Devlantis, and Lauren Lapka. 
front row. Great. Sensed a little jealousy out of you the next morning when I joined you guys on the Steve Cochran show. I was was getting berated by you and Steve about sitting in the front row. I was covering the game, but Ro was like, hey, I got four tickets, row one, right by the Cubs on deck circle. And look, like, we're spoiled. We have press passes. We can go to a million games and go to all of them if we want. But that particular night to sit in the front row, Cubs socks at Wrigley under the lights. I was like, okay, I'll meet you guys. So I sat like half the game down there, and you – was like what, like eight rows? You had good seats too. I I I had a friend that night who uh, who had hooked up the tickets, but not to your level. So I'm like, oh, there's Rowan and oh, there's Kevin. Oh, look, they're all sitting <laughs> in the front row. And then and then Lauren was tweeting out about this is the greatest night of my life. Right for Lauren too, just a diehard Sox fan. She got to see that up close. And I thought that that night, although it's not really being underlined like that quite yet, but to me it was sort of a changing of the guard. Cubs are had their World Series. Trending down, and I know that the teams are not in direct competition, all that, but but that felt to me like there's one team on the rise in this city, and there's one team that is going the other way, and 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 certainly their season ended up that way on the north side. So I, I just thought that was a huge night for the White Sox it and was, for Eloy. It, it was a ton of fun too. Yeah, I don't know if I don't know. I see where you're going with the Cubs Sox angle, but I think it's also was sort of. I mean, I went got home at Pond Sports Center, and that's. People were talking about that, you know, where yep. that like was a that was a storyline. The guy the Cubs traded to the White Sox hit the go ahead homer in the eighth inning, a broken, a broken, broken bat at homer. Remember, he was he proudly presented his bat to us as we went into the White Sox clubhouse that night. And it was it was pretty cool. So I that's that one really sticks out to me. He's such a lovely guy too. Oh my god, I love him. Right. And I give him so much respect. How old is he? 22? Eloy Jimenez. I'm going to double check. Pappy, if you got a quick fact checker, would love it right now. I got it. I got it. And I'll race Poppy to the the finish line on how old Eloy Jimenez is. He's 22 (laughs) years old. Poppy wins. 22 out of the Dominican. Yeah. And guy comes here. And this is not a knock against other players because I understand it could be terrifying if you come here. Cameras are in your face. Microphone's in your face. You don't know how to completely speak English. This guy came here. And he learned how to speak the language. He, the first time we talked with him, I just assumed, I don't know, you know, most of the players that come over don't have a good grasp of the language. He, we talked to him at Camelback Ranch. He wasn't, he wasn't shy at all. He was talking to us. I'm like, oh, he knows English. He, he loves joking around with the media. He loves joking around with his teammates. Give the guy a ton of respect for that, being 22 and, and being willing to do that. Yeah. I, you know, since we're talking a little bit of uh, the, the cross-down rivalry, and the White Sox, Rick Hahn's talking about in the offseason, he, he wants two starting pitchers. Left-handed bat, left-handed bat, DH. Mm-hmm. You know, and you thought you start thinking about the Quintana trade, and that certainly worked out incredibly well for the White Sox. I, and the Cubs are in a and a, for the Cubs. A, a, nah, well, okay, fine. If you want to say that, that's the, I, don't, I would say that the White Sox are going to win that deal hands over. But okay, they, they, Quintana has pitched in the playoffs. But I, I'm wondering, uh, you know, you want to do this again with Kyle Schwarber because. Would make a ton of sense. I think it makes a lot of sense. On a lot of levels. I, I don't know what the, what you know the, the, the Cubs would want back, but Schwarber to me belongs in the American League. You want a left-handed bat. He had 38 homers this year. What does that look like in guaranteed right field, which is right. even better hitter's ballpark than Wrigley? I don't. I mean, he, the guy would be launching. Well, I, I know this is White Sox Weekly, not to make this about the Cubs, but if we are having this conversation about a real possibility of making that trade, what is it that the Cubs need? It's a well. The Cubs because if we're going to pitching, talk about pitching, pitching, and some pitching, and then maybe a center fielder, 
I don't know. Worst contact rate in baseball. Right. Stakes on the base paths. Guys will get on base. I, I don't know if there's a match there, but it's... Right. it's and I, don't I don't know if know. there's a match either. It's, yeah. it's a fun conversation to have because, look, uh, we've been saying this for a while now. Kyle Schwarber has always felt like an American League type player, whether the Cubs want to admit to it or not. At Theo Epstein's hour and a half exit interview with the media, you know, he's, he mentioned that they maybe were a little stubborn. Uh, and 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 not willing to admit that maybe this team isn't the sort of team that can win a World Series, or at least a little stubborn in making moves. So I, you know, I'm not ruling anything out with the Cubs. So if we're talking about a, another Cubs Sox trade, I'm not going to completely rule it out. Look, when they when the when the Quintana deal went down, I I was hollering for that deal to be made before it did. Yeah, and Cubs fans are like, "What are you talking about? They're not going to make the deal." Sox fans are like, "What are you talking about? They're not going to make the deal." I go, Theo Epstein and Rick Hahn are very. Um, well thought out guys, obviously smart guys. I think they can put aside the fact this north side, south side, and make a deal that made a ton of sense for both teams at that particular moment, right? Didn't it made it made a ton of? It's the Cubs needed exactly what they got in Katana, and the Sox needed they needed players. They needed really good players to get this rebuild rolling. Um, and and I when before when people when the critics were like no 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 what are you talking about Kevin what are you, they can't make that trade, I was sort of like. Look, I don't think this is going to be one of those trades we look back on in two decades and everyone says, oh, remember the Quintana trade when the Sox robbed the Cubs? I just thought it made a ton of sense on both levels. It's not going to be some dark cloud. Oh, they traded away Eloy or Dylan Cease, and then in 20 years the Cubs are like having a losing season and some Cub fan is grumbling about the time they traded Jose Quintana um, or, or, or Eloy and, and Dylan Cease. So, look, the, the deal made a ton of sense. I think they both would be open to um, – to more conversations. I just don't know if the match is there. That was a very unique moment and situation for both clubs. No doubt it was. Um, so, I, I mean, I don't expect that to happen. But yeah, just, just it was th- a fun little. Just throwing it out there. Starting pitchers, White Sox are looking for two. The, these are the names of, of uh, starters that are available. And I'm going to hold – I'm not going to mention – the ones that have opt-outs, like Steven Strasburg, who could opt out of four years and $100 million remaining. So we don't know what that will happen. But Garrett Cole... I wish a- I had an option to opt out of a four-year, $100 million no, option, Carm. You're a, probably in a good spot if that's the case. It'd be a sweet place to be, right? Uh, Garrett Cole, Hinjin Rue, who's 33 years old and had a war of 4.8 this year, which is phenomenal. Zach Wheeler, Jake Odorizzi, Madison Bumgardner. I think that's a very interesting name. Um, Homer Bailey, Michael Pineda... Kyle Gibson. These are this is uh, in in war value going on down in starting pitchers. Cole Hamels, Adam Wainwright, who's thirty eight. Cole Hamels is thirty six. Tanner Roark, Wade Miley, Brett Anderson, and then also a two uh, war is Ivan Nova. Do you bring back Nova as part of you know maybe with someone? I, I don't know. Yeah, that, that's that's an option. Um, but so you're the big fish is Garrett Cole. That's the name everybody's talking about. He's going to get the the largest contract. How large? I don't know. Um, look, the White Sox last spring or last off season were willing. We saw reports. It was basically confirmed that they were willing to give Manny Machado two hundred seventy five million dollars. Now the difference is. Manny Machado's an everyday player. Garrett Cole pitches once every five games. Are the White Sox willing to give two hundred million dollars and maybe six or seven years, six or seven years to a thirty year old pitcher who's still a stud? The, uh, strong, strong, strong odds is that the answer to that is no. I would, uh, I'd be stunned if they did it. I why would, would you be stunned? Just by the face of a past uh, right. experience with. The, I, I, I will J- say that Jerry just doesn't doesn't want to spend on on that. It's a it's a high risk move. 
very risky. The exact sort the key, of move they need right now. Keyword is risk. Yeah, but that's look, true. Look, with these free agents, every team does this. But how many years did Bryce Harper, again, these are different when talking everyday players and pitchers. How many years did Harper get? Was it eight, eight or ten? I thought it was 13. 13, for, okay, 13, yeah. you're right. Um, look at what the Cubs did, which I hate to keep bringing up the Cubs on White Sox Weekly, but I, look at what the Cubs did with John Lester. A turning point, franchise-altering signing. Theo had to win him over to, to join the Cubs. They locked him down with a six-year deal as when he was 30. And sometimes you got to overpay for a couple back-end years when you do have a window opening, and you look through that window, and the World Series seems like a real possibility with the amount of young talent you have. So if you only get four really good years of that particular player... Those four years are probably coming when that championship window is open, and you got to bite the bullet. And maybe you do have to you do have to take those last three years and watch a player decline on the backside of his thirties. But you gave it a run during that championship window. Yeah, I mean it makes sense, but I I just I don't anticipate. Odds are no, I get it. I'm just saying that is the big fish. If anybody's wondering, wow, who's the top free agent? It's Garrett Cole. You can watch him in the playoffs. No, no doubt about it. The White Sox pop up shop is coming on back to Orland Square this off season. Visit the White Sox store at Orland Square Mall October the 15th through January the 15th. Conveniently located across from the Apple Store, fans can shop stadium exclusives and special promotions throughout the holiday. For more information, visit or follow, I should say, at White Sox Store on Instagram. Sox fans, secure your seats for the 2020 season today. Ticket packages are on sale now. Get yours and you'll have access to the best seats, best prices, and best benefits guaranteed rate field has to offer. For more information, visit WhiteSox.com or call 312-674-1000. Take a little look at the position players available in free agency. The White Sox might be interested to do that coming on back next. Scott Merkin after 630 on 720 WGN. And the 0-1 is grounded to third. A diving stop there by Moncada. Gets up and throws across in time. Yoan Moncada flashing some leather over there at third base. Indeed, Yoan Moncada did all season long. What a year he had. Gold glove candidate all day, right? That's you know what? I know when I had that conversation multiple times throughout the season, what sort of player can he be defensively? Everybody I've talked to is high on him defensively. I thought he played well at third this year. I, I thought he played very well. A huge, huge, huge step up. I uh, love when Rick Hahn because when that move was made, him going from second to third, <laughs> Rick Hahn was like, Yeah, Johan keeps telling us he was a gold glover in the Cuban National League. He's like, We're not exactly sure if they have gold glove awards in Cuba, but we'll believe him. And I thought he lived up to his own hyped. Still, Steve, his, own, his own generated hype. Steve Stone had a very interesting tweet. I'm trying to find it on Moncada. Um, there, this is Steve Stone. I've seen him every day for a year. I know he's a much better third baseman. He's a, he's a plus at third, a minus at second. Anything else? Madrigal will be the second baseman, and Moncada will not. Moncada will be an all star at third. Um, so I, I I thought that you know for a guy who clearly knows the game of baseball, right? You know, plus at third, minus at second. That's pretty. You know, that's that's not leaving a whole lot of gray area from Steve Stone's opinion on where he belongs going right. forward. And I don't think they're obviously they're not moving you on Moncada. No, 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 no. Yeah, and he did not look comfortable at all at second a couple seasons ago. This year felt like he really. Settled in. I thought once the Machado stuff kind of came and went, everybody kind of settled in. Okay, TA's the short. We're going to move Yoan over to the third. We'll platoon guys at second. But 
You think Madrigal's the opening day, second base? I don't know about opening day, but you think? I think Robert's May, opening day. I that's, a, that's another tough question. I I would if I had to bet, I guess I would say no. But this is what I keep. Uh, you I, know, actually, I take that back. I'm going to say that I, I'm going to say they do a deal with Luis Robert, similar to Eloy, and he starts. That with would the be club. ideal. Yeah, it I, would be really fun to see. Eloy in left, Robert in center, whoever the free agent signing is in right field. Moncada, T.A., Magical, Abreu, James McCann behind home plate. That's a, that's a very promising club right there for 2020, Carm. Very promising is the way I'll put it. Well, let's name some, some outfielders who could be playing right field. Um, there's a guy by the name of Nick Castellanos, who White Sox fans are familiar with, played a long time with the Tigers, and... He's going to get some big dough, played great for the Cubs at the end of the year. That guy's out there, right field. Got to cover him this year. Obviously knew him from watching Sox-Tigers games, but I had a chance to talk to him a little bit this year. A little surly. Big Nick. fan of Nick Castellanos. You like Castellanos. Big fan of Castellanos. He's, he's got a little... Uh, every day is opening day, Carm. Every day is opening day. Uh, Marcel Ozuna is a free agent. Now, he's not a great outfielder, but that dude no. has been awful clutch for the Cardinals this year. Um Brett Gardner, does that interest you at all? 36 years old? A little bit. Look, I mean, a lot of these all depends how the market shakes out. You yeah. know what I mean? It's it's hard to say yes or no on a player if we don't know exactly what they'd be paying him. Right, of course. Uh, I'm just, you know, but yeah, theoreticals here. I'm with you. I'm uh, rocking with you, Carm. I'm just, going, I'm just going down the list of outfielders, and we can even mention some designated hitters. Um, Hunter Pence is 30. I mean, a lot of these guys are just straight old. Uh, 37 for 100 pounds. Nelson Cruz is 39. The the big fish, the free agency wise, is JD Martinez. Whether he's going to opt out in Boston, we'll see. I mean, how perfect would he be for the White Sox? That I mean, that's that's ideal for them right now. And I I mean, I think the White Sox are going to spend. So do I. And I think they'll spend more this this off season than they ever have before. So I mean, there's there's players out there that fit the profile of exactly what they need. Yasmani Grandal, veteran type guy, could DH for you. We're we're efforting Rick Hahn right now. I think he's going to tell us exactly who he's going Perfect. after. Perfect. Thank you, Rick. Appreciate you calling in. It's great to be back with WGN. It's White Sox Weekly on the official radio station of the Chicago White Sox. Seven twenty WGN. Seven twenty WGN. A special Sunday night White Sox Weekly. Scott Merkin, MLB.com, joining us. Merk, great to be with you at Post Bears. And uh, I know that you're, you're on a little vacation right now, aren't you, Merk? Yeah, I'm talking to you live from uh, Las, Las Vegas right now. So uh, off until, I believe, Thursday of this week and then back to back to action again with covering the White Sox. Well, we appreciate you taking time as always. And uh, you're, you're awesome to White Sox Weekly, Merk. Thank you so much. Uh, let, let, oh, let, let's talk about, uh, I just want to run, run through some guys here. What do you think happened that Tim Anderson went from a 240, 250, whatever hitter to a guy who won the batting crown? How do you, how does, how did that happen in your mind? Well, I talked about this all, pretty much all, well, all season as it got going. I think Tim Anderson, Lucas Giolito and Yohan Moncada are all like great life lessons, let alone baseball lessons. You know, all three guys had years last year, excuse me, 2018, where they weren't happy. They, you know, there were some some signs of promise, more so with Anderson and Moncada. Giolito just had a bad year. and But they knew they could be a lot better. They knew there was a lot more in there. And instead of just saying, well, you know, the talent will shine through, they were proactive. They went after it this past off season. You know, Giolito with not only just fix, you know changing mechanics, but his whole mindset and everything else. And Moncada doing the extra work with then-hitting coach Todd Steverson and Ricky Renteria. 
and Anderson doing his extra work, focusing on timing more with, with Steverson as well. And it paid off. And I think, you know, ability, they talk about, you know, Tim has great, great hands up at the plate, quick hands. And I think, you know, a, a little luck works into it too, but I think that's well down the list of just beyond just the great work Tim put in. And, and you know, it's funny, the last month of the season, he was almost kind of like a, a, a tactician up there, if that's the word, if that's the right word. You know, it, it was, he wasn't like looking for a lot of home runs or extra base hits. He was going with whatever, wherever the ball was pitched, you know, and it, it was really impressive to see. And, you know, they went out, they went off speed away and he'd go into right field with it. You know, he got a chance to pull one, he'd hit one out. But he was taking anything they would give him and not working too much past that. And I thought that was a great time for him. And again, he at what, 335, he went up 95 points. You figure there's going to be a little bit of regression from that. But I mean, what if he ends up hitting between 290 and 310? That's a pretty damn good thing for the White Sox. Now, again, he's talked about next step is, you know, getting more consistent on the defense, even though he has exceptional range. But he knew he led the America, he led majors, I believe, in errors. And he knows that's a, a, something that has to be worked on. And, I'll tell you what, if, if his work in this offseason pays off as much as last offseason, he should be winning a gold glove in 2020 in that case then. That would be amazing if, if he could make a step like that defensively. And he made a huge step last year, and I thought just the way it went this year, it seemed at least a little bit like he went backwards, at least at times. Uh, do you agree with that, actually? Do, do, did you think that he took a step back defensively? I don't know if, if overall he did. I think he, you know, he made... I, you know, I think the problem is, as Ricky Renteria has pointed out, and I, I agree with him on this one, that you know, I think Tim has such good range that he'll get to balls that other shortstops won't get to, but then maybe the throw goes away, makes you know, mistake or something like that. And I understand, you know, I think Tim was as frustrated with it as anyone else. I don't think he took a step back. I, I think the best way to say this, he didn't take a step forward defensively. How about that? He took nine steps forward offensively, and maybe you know, stayed the same defensively. And I know Tim. From knowing Tim since you know he was drafted, base I know he's going to work tirelessly in the off season to get to get better in that area. Man is a worker. There's no doubt. I think that's a fair way of putting it too. And he had some phenomenal plays this year. Uh, oh, maybe- he did. He did. I, I mean, it, going in the hole behind third base. I don't know if there's. I mean, that's not fair. I don't, I don't see every shortstop in baseball, but he's as good as any shortstop in baseball making that play, going in the hole and then like throwing across his body over to Braywood first. I mean, he, very very good on that play. No doubt. No doubt. Excuse me. Let, let's go back to uh, you. You mentioned Trick Todd Steverson, who the White Sox are yeah. looking for a new hitting coach. Uh, why do you think they moved on from that? Because you know Tim had a phenomenal year, and Abreu had a great year. James McCann came over here and got better. Uh, you can point to a bunch of guys: Moncada, Eloy, uh, and they spoke well of, of Todd. So why, why do you think they're making a change there? Yeah, you know it's an interesting season because I think last off season I was talking about this with a couple of members of the White Sox media relations. Last offseason, there there really wasn't anything to hang your hat on. Now, granted, it was still very early on in the rebuild and, you know, the first full season for a lot of these guys. But we just talked about this, Mark, that, you know, Moncada struggled and Anderson was okay and Giolito had a rough year. Lopez had a better year than than what he did. But, I mean, than what he did this year, I should say. But this year, when Trick is let go, or, no, I'm sorry, not let go. They part ways with him. I believe his contract was done, and they just didn't bring him back, along with Greg Sparks, his hitting coach. You had a lot of guys who took huge steps forward. And I think it's just kind of the nature of that job. I did not have a chance to talk to him except via text because I've been on vacation. But, you know, I know from what he said that he understands that it's just kind of the shelf life of a hitting coach. Paul Canerco, and I'm paraphrasing this, said years back uh, that, you know, hitting coach is the worst job in sports in that hitting coach in baseball is the worst job in sports, not just baseball, in that, you know, guys hit 
250 home runs and hit 280 as a team, well, it's great hitters, right? But the team struggles and doesn't get on base enough, which is what happened this year with the Sox, or doesn't hit enough home runs. Well, then it's got to be the hitting coach. And maybe, just maybe, it's it, they didn't have the hitters to do it this year. I mean, we talked about some great hitters they have, but I think this team is going to get exponentially better next year with some of the guys that come up and, you know, some of the guys they add via free agency or trade. I'll go back to an Ozzie Guillen quote, and he said, again, I'm, I'm not, I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but he basically said, good managers are made by good players. And I think the hitting coach is the same thing, but in the same sense, I respect, you know, the Sox decision that it's, you know, time to go in another, another direction on that one. But I, I think he was a great guy, as you know, you talk to him, Mark, he's a great guy to talk about with hitting, and he can kind of put things, he can kind of distill things down to what you needed to know instead of giving you a whole bunch of different technical terms. And I, I thought he did, uh, you know, a solid job with that team, but then again, it wasn't, you know, it, it was the Sox call to, to move forward from this, from this point. Yeah, from a media standpoint, you're exactly right. I mean, Todd was... Uh, yeah, he was great, yeah. He, he was great, yeah, he was... Both, uh, him and, uh, both him and Coop, Coop also over the years, you know, as a pitching coach, a, a, a great talker too, but Deverson, much like Greg Walker, who I think you know, really one of the more underappreciated coaches in the history of Chicago sports, what he did and just some of the teams that he worked with over the years, he was tremendous. And again, that goes back to people saying, well, he had great talent, but you know, I mean, he had, he did a great job there too, but I mean, he was a great one to talk to. He's still a great one to talk to, but he's a, he was a great one to talk about hitting. And if you appreciate the guys who can talk to you and talk with you and not talk at you when you're talking about baseball. No doubt. No doubt. Uh, all right, here, Merck, let's look forward. You just, you named it a second ago as far as the offseason and the White Sox being, uh, they certainly have money to spend here, and I think uh, the goal clearly is to be right there in 2020. Anthony Rendon, Garrett Cole, Yasiel Puig, Marcelo Zuna, a lot of big names out there. Nicholas Castellanos, who, uh, you know, Sox fans know him from Detroit, but he, you know, he certainly made a big splash on the north side with the Cubs. A lot of names out there. How aggressive do you think the Sox will be? Well, if I read this right, I think as of right now, granted, they have a lot of arbitration guys, but I think Anderson, Jimenez, and Herrera are the only three on the books right now, if I'm not mistaken, going into 2020. Now, I fully expect Jose Abreu to come back, and like I said, there'll be the arbitration bumps for you know for the different guys and that sort of thing, and then you know the rest of the roster, too. But I, I think they're going to be aggressive. Now, I know after last night's game, against uh, the Rays. I'm I'm not in Chicago, but I wouldn't be surprised if Sox fans are outside right now, you know, yelling to – no one's there, but yelling at the ballpark to go sign, you know, give Garrett Cole all the money you can. I've joked about this, that, you know, everyone at some point has been to a silent auction for charity, and, you know, they have the thing, like, where you can go up and, like, you know, raise bids by $15 or $25 or $50, and then at the top it says – to buy this item outright, pay this money. And I think that's what you'd have to do to get Garrett Cole in the offseason. You'd have to go to Scott Boris and Garrett Cole and say, what is what is it that you want? What's the top sum you want? That's probably pretty much what you'd have to do because there's going to be a lot of teams in this and that guy. But I think the White Sox can have a great – I know they can have a great offseason without signing Garrett Cole or Anthony Rendon. I mean, I'm about the team. You know, you got to go from top to bottom – Solid team. Look at, you know, the Yankees. Look at the Astros. Look at the, you know, other playoff teams that haven't fared as well, like the, the in the first couple of games, the Twins. I mean, these are guys, these are teams that don't have a lot of bumps in their lineup. Maybe, you know, here or there a spot in the rotation or the bullpen, <clears throat> but that's to be expected. So I'm more about building a really good team. I watched that in 05, you know, with the White Sox. There are a lot of great players on the team. There wasn't really one superstar on that team in 05. I think the same could be said if you go across town to the 16 Cubs. You know, a lot of great players. I guess Chris Bryant was MVP, so you consider him 
kind of the superstar that year. But, I mean, even then it was kind of in the context of the whole team. And that's what I think you have to build with this White Sox. I mean, I do believe, have not, not, in, not having been privy to the plan, I do believe the White Sox will add this offseason and add with the idea of winning and contending in 2020. Do you uh, – Rick Hunt said two starting pictures, and I'm going through the Makes list here of, of who's out there. Uh, you know, you mentioned Garrett Cole. That's going to be super pricey. And then you got guys like Jake Odorizzi and Madison Bumgarner and uh, Cole Hamels is, is a, you know, I don't know if you want to take a flyer on a veteran guy who's great in the clubhouse. Tanner Roark, Wade Miley. There's a, there's a lot of names out there. Do you think Ivan Nova's back? You know, it's an interesting call. I think it depends on who the, the first guy they get. I think the first guy they sent, this is not to denigrate Nova. Nova, talk about a, a, a great guy to have and just a really – a guy who's kind of aware of everything in the clubhouse because he's been around so much. You know, he knows he's not a hitter, but he knows the ins and outs of pretty much everything in there and really did what they asked of him, you know, aside from a really slow start to the season. I mean, the guy even served as an opener two days after he made a start, right, or three days after he made a start in Minnesota out of necessity and, and did a good job of it. I think he led the team in starts. He led the team in innings. So I think if they get a guy who they consider maybe like front line as the one guy, Nova might be the guy who's you know likely to to come back as the second one, and I think you forgot Zach Wheeler's in there too, right? Sure. The Mets, uh, yep, the Mets pitcher who the the Sox know full well what he was like because he just carved them up in that sweep that the Mets had of the Sox at a guaranteed rate this year. So yeah, I, I think Nova certainly is in play. There's no question about it. He's talked about it. He'd love to come back. I think the Sox liked him very much and what he did, but I think you know it's it's they're they're. They're separating everything from you know emotion to what's best for the team, what's best for the business, and I think they're they're looking at that. But yeah, two starters make sense to me. I mean, you have Gilito and Cease, and Cease is really just going to be in his first full year. Lopez, you know, again has promised to be better and promised to be more focused, and certainly has the talent. You'll see what happens there. And then you have Kopech, um, Dunning, Lambert, and Carlos Rodon all coming back at various times during the 2020 season from Tommy John's surgery. So two starters make sense because who knows, you know, if Kopech is going to break camp with the team, maybe he's back up in late April or early May or something like that. Then again, maybe he breaks it. You don't know, but I think two starters definitely make sense. And I think that's one of the most important things you can have. You ultimately win in the playoffs on pitching. Very few teams out hit the other team, maybe in a game or two, but you got to have pitching. And I think, you know, same with the bullpen, great bullpen core down there. With you know, I'm going to forget some, but Marshall and Colome and Bummer and Fry and Cordero and even Herrera looked good his last you know ten fifteen outings, but you you never know how many years that's going to last in that bullpen course. So you want to reinforce that. So I, I think there's probably about four or five additions for the Sox to make this offseason. You know, two starters, at least one relief arm, uh, a right fielder, and a designated hitter. And that you know, if they can hit all those targets, they'd be really solid with Robert and Madrigal coming in 2020. Yeah, I'm looking at right fielders, and one name that's on there is Avi Garcia. You don't see him coming back, do you? <laughs> I do not. I do not. <laughs> I think uh, they're probably very happy for what Avi did, uh, is, you know, the success he's signing out in Tampa, but I, I don't think he's coming back. I think a guy like, you know, if, if they want to go left-handed bat, Corey Dickerson's a possibility, but I think Castellanos is an interesting name to look at. And then, you know, you've heard about the Rangers with their kind of glut of left-handed hitting outfielders, they may be a target that they, you know, go talk to and try and make a trade for. So I I, I don't see Avi coming back. But it's funny, I'm doing an inbox for, even during the vacation, for Monday, a mailbag thing, and one of the people asked about, do I see Avi coming back? So I'll give a little hint on that one. I don't think he'll be back with the White Sox. Yeah. You want to guess on an outfielder? 
and or DH? Uh, I would say Corey Dickerson is a, is a good bet for an outfielder. I think Castellanos is right in that mix too. Yeah, I think they could. Pre- you know, I, I thought it was a, a real strong point by Rick during his uh, state of the Sox like ending press conference to say that yeah, they'd like a left-handed hitter to to balance things out. And Rick Renteria made this point too to balance the lineup out, but you know they're not going to be welded into handedness to you know over a better player who might be right-handed hitter who can help them even more. So you know, I, th- I think Dickerson. Um, Castellanos, and then of course everyone is focused on J.D. Martinez if he does opt out of the contract, but you know we can't really guess at that yet since he's still a member of the Boston Red Sox. Yeah, Scott Merkin, MLB.com with us here for a couple more minutes on 720 WGN White Sox Weekly on a Sunday night. Merk, uh, let's, let's wrap up with this. Your favorite Scott Merkin story from 2019 as you sit by the pool and have a margarita and reflect back on the amazing work that you did this year. Wow, that's that, that's a, I, I wasn't prepared for that one. I should have been prepared for that one, and I'm not. Uh, favorite story, you know? I mean, I think the most touching story was about Lucas Giolito talking about his relationship with Tyler Skaggs, the late Tyler Skaggs, after you know going yeah. back to the memorial service that he attended, and then just you know the tribute they paid to him, all, all the guys who worked out with him together. And that whole you know story coming up, but I, I, there were just so many. I, I I wish I could think of another one that was really that stood up. I think there were just so many good stories about the players themselves, and just so many you know kind of fun quotes here and there. Jose Abreu talking about how he's going to sign. I I, I love Rick's quote at the end of the year about you know Jose Abreu talking about how he's going to sign himself back if the Sox don't sign him, and you know Jerry Reinsdorf, I, I believe it was in Daryl Van Scowen's story. Jose said that. Uh, Jerry Reinsdorf said that he he told him he's going to be at White Sox for life, and Rick said not exactly the negotiating primer for you know for free agency going forward. But yeah, I mean, I, I think there were, there are a lot of good stories out of this team, and I think there'll be even better one next year. But I but I you know kind of anytime you talk to Lucas, it was always informative, and that one just happened to be kind of a very touching one because you know talking about a, a friend who tragically and way too early passed away. Yeah. Hell of a year for Lucas and uh Yes. Great kid. Great great uh and I know people don't like when I say kid because they're adults, but you know, they're like twenty five years younger than me, so to me they're kids. But <laughs> you know, I mean a really, really good talker too. A really like astute talker. Doesn't just say things to kinda hear himself, kinda has a point behind everything he makes and real good natured guy and just very informative. You you learn stuff by talking to Lucas, which is kind of cool on this job to have that kind of thing happen you know no doubt whenever i talk to him like you better come correct your carmen or else he's going to look at you sideways like what the hell are you talking about buddy so (laughs) (laughs) merc enjoy the trip man great to have you on as always and uh i'm sure there's going to be news coming down sooner than later so we we look forward to uh, all that and of course reading you whenever you're writing at mlb.com Yes, I'll be back in the back in the fold uh, soon. I actually have something Monday, but then be back uh, from vacation on Wednesday, ready to go. Scott Barkin, he's the man. Thanks, Thank- Mark. Good to talk to you. Two balls, two strikes. The two-two, high and deep to left. This is going to go to the scoreboard. Sox lead one nothing. Abreu has hit his thirty-third. That ball was hit really hard, folks. <laughs> Welcome back into White Sox Weekly. Kevin Powell with you. We're going to go all the way to 8. It's a special two-hour White Sox Weekly as this weekend comes to a close. A beautiful Sunday 
in Chicago and around the area. Mark Carmen talking with Scott Merkin earlier. Uh, Carmen and I started the show kind of just talking about some of our favorite memories, and you heard Merck talk about that as well. But I think that's sort of a good indicator of where this rebuild is headed, where this organization is headed, where it was a fun season. Look, I understand there were 72, only 72 wins. There were some frustrating stretches where they lost a whole bunch of games in a row. There was also some really encouraging moments that got you really excited about this rebuild. And I think a couple of years ago, that was that was tough. Uh, I thought the 2018 season was was pretty tough, but to see the emergence of look, Tim Anderson won a batting title, Jose Abreu the RBI title, Yoan Mokata's emerging as a big time superstar, the sort of player that we thought he could turn into. If you move a Chris Sale, you expect to get somebody like Yoan Mokata in return, and I think they've they've done that. I think what Yoan Mokata's proved is he can be one of the best players in baseball. I don't think that's a stretch in me saying that. Plays a good third base. Great hands, can hit for power, he can hit uh, both sides of the field. So I, I think overall this season, you gotta say it was mostly a success. I don't know if we wanna if we wanna do the whole thing where we put a grade on it, because I don't know if, if you can really do that considering the amount of levels that a baseball organization has at the big league level. There was a ton of success. Lucas Giolito was a stud this year. Ronaldo Lopez showed flashes of what he can. Now he hasn't done that for a very long stretch, Lopez, but he did so some, what, 14 strikeouts in one game? Some pretty electric stuff. So um, I think that gets you excited as a White Sox fan. And for Eloy Jimenez, missed a lot of time, still finished with 31 homers, the big man did. So, uh, you know, I I think overall this was a pretty pretty solid season considering it is still a rebuild. There were some some great moments. I talked about at the top of the show that doubleheader when Dylan Cease made his debut. Eloy Jimenez had a big homer. I believe it was a walk-off in the nightcap. So, and and we were there for it. Roe and, and Lauren and I were, were all just kind of hanging out at the ballpark all day. And it was, it was a beautiful day on the south side, and we were just soaking it in. It was like these, these are the types of moments that we can come to expect for the next multiple years. That's the point of a rebuild. It's not for some sort of flash-in-the-pan one season get lucky. I mean, this is what teams do. Look at the Houston Astros. Look at the team on the north side of town. The, uh, the the rebuilds can work. It doesn't mean it's a lock that a championship is at the end of the story, but uh, I think we can all agree that with the amount of talent in this organization, in the farm system, guys are still going to get better. That uh, that That's encouraging. That gets you excited for this White Sox team in 2020. Look, after that last game of the season, I went on, I was on social media, just kind of scanning through whatever, and... There are some White Sox fans I follow, and they're like bloggers and have their own sort of you know fan base and whatnot. And you know, a lot of them were talking about how they this will probably be the longest off season in a long time for White Sox fans because I think everybody's absolutely pumped for spring training 2020 and what the season has to come. So uh, some encouraging stuff. I'm Kevin Powell. This is White Sox Weekly on 720 WGN. More to come. James Fegan after the news. Two old pitch in the air, deep into left field. This ball is headed for the bleachers, and it is gone. A two-run homer, number 30 for Eloy Jimenez. And he gives the White Sox a 2 to nothing lead here in the first inning. A lot of fun moments for the 2019 White Sox. Obviously missing the playoffs, only 72 wins, but a lot of individual growth 
on the south side this season. Welcome into White Sox Weekly. Kevin Powell with you for the next hour. We'll take it up to 8 o'clock. Then it's Karen Conti standing by. A special two-hour end of season White Sox Weekly for you right here on WGN. Now, a man who covered just about every single second of White Sox baseball this season is the great James Feagan. He writes for The Athletic. If you don't subscribe to The Athletic, I don't know what you're doing. you got to do it. James uh, knows the team very, very well. Thank you for joining me, my friend. I appreciate it. I know it's your off season. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to figure out there's not really an off season. But <laughs> thanks for having me. Yeah, I appreciate you jumping on. How many games do you think you personally covered this year? Did you? Did, how many? How many days does John Greenberg, your boss, give you, give you off during a season? Greenberg would probably tell me regularly, like, "Go home. This is important. Um, you know, don't worry about it." And I would probably stay. And I, I would say that my predicament in life is very much self-driven. I. I, I I think I calculated it as far as like road games being like a little bit over half time, so it was like forty five or something like that. So with all the home games leaving in the end of that doubleheader that didn't count, so I didn't even miss that game technically. It'd probably be around something one hundred and twenty six, hundred twenty seven regular season games, and then a bunch of spring training and minor league affiliates and whatnot. It, the, the total is just going to be garishly high, so I, I don't even know. Do you feel guilty or something? Is this like, uh, like, <laughs> like what is it that drives James Feagan to, to? It seems like you are there all the time, wherever the White Sox are. James Feagan is just a nagging insecurity of like something is happening that I don't know about or don't understand or don't have a full appreciation more, or thinking I could get more out of it, and, and also just the fact that like. I'm old enough to have had worse jobs than watching baseball, and I feel like there's always something to be gained out of, of, of any single game or any single pitcher. Like, there's so many, like, weird little, like, odd stories about relievers using different things. Like, Josh Oshich just randomly started throwing, like, 70% cutters this year, and I find it kind of interesting, even though if I couldn't really ever sell a story on it that people would read, that's just... <laughs> There's kind of weird takeaways out of everything you can have. Yeah. Well, that's what I love about you, man. You always find a unique angle, and uh, as we wrap this season up, I think you deserve some credit uh, for doing a really uh, job well done, my friend. So read James' stuff at The Athletic. Let's get to this season. Uh, Mark Carmen and I started the show at the uh, top of the uh, a 6 o'clock hour, kind of going down memory lane a little bit. And, and you may have heard me mention, like, I know it was a 72-win season, but there were some moments here where, you know, it was, it was pretty exciting. The Eloy homer at, at Wrigley, the Eloy homer that... It's still going, I think, over center field. Um, does, does any uh, particular game, moment, at bat, a start stick out to you? I mean, I was in the building in Minnesota when uh, Giolito shut out the Twins. I wasn't there for Houston, but that was arguably just as impressive. But um, a funny thing about Giolito, and something I've noticed since he joined the team, is that I can always spot him out from like no. No amount of distance is like too far for me to not be able to mark out his gait and just how tall and gangly he is. So I can always recognize him, and I could see in the dugout the entire like Minnesota start his frame poking out and how much he was just kind of bouncing around, and dancing, and like it was as lo- he's always a loose dude. He's always easy going. Anybody you talk to him, you get his very chill vibe. But he was just bouncing around and like didn't have a care in the world while he's dominating the best one of the best offenses in the league and clearly the best team in his division and, and probably pitching as well as he's ever pitched in his life. And he just didn't seem like he, as, as relaxed as I've seen a pitcher, uh, you know, in the three years I've been uh, on the beat. So that really is a memory that will probably stand out to me is like, this guy's really in control of what he's doing. He's really arrived. Um, 
you know, there was a lot of examples of how, how good he got this season, but that that's probably the image that I carry with me. He was fun to watch. I mean, that's what I keep coming back to when i sort of recapping this season with a lot of people is how much individual growth there was between Moncada, Tim Anderson, at least at the plates. Thought Eloy had some flashes. I mean, it's some pretty impressive numbers considering the amount of games he did play. I think he showed you enough to get uh, White Sox fans excited. It's kind of tough to do in baseball to put a grade on a season considering there are minor leagues and development and all those sorts of things. But if you could grade this season for the Cubs, all things or for the White Sox, uh, all, all things considered, how how would you grade it? I feel like it's probably easier to put a positive grade on the White Sox than the Cubs season. Yes, yes, it was. <laughs> a little slip there from me. Thanks, James. I don't think I'd go much beyond a B as far as positive. Like it, it's so great to have that, like you know, four four guy, offensive core guys that you are firmly established and really like prove themselves. And it, obviously, Giolito was somebody that even when they were talking about offseason improvement, I was kind of like, yeah, okay, that sounds nice, but. You know, you had a six ERA last year. I don't really buy it. Mm. And now he's someone you can depend on. But there was there was a lot of injury in the in the minor leagues. There was a lot of you know that double A team was probably supposed to be really stacked with uh you know Rutherford, Luis Gonzalez, Luis Basabe, Mike Rodolfo, uh, and all that, and, and the outfield. And those guys are really kind of struggled and perform. You know, you really have loved to see Jake Berger come back this year, and that didn't happen. There's there's some depth issues that probably. As much as they've kind of figured out who they are, who their central main contributors are, and that's huge. I feel like the margin of error, like when we were in 2017, we probably could have dreamed about this team being internally developed. There's something Rick Hahn would talk about is having kind of a long-term solution in every position, in every slot. He would acknowledge that it wasn't going to work out that way. There's going to be injuries. There's going to be disappointments. But you could probably put a more idyllic vision on how this would work long-term maybe two years ago. Now reality is really set in a lot of places that they're going to really have to hit in free agency in a, in a certain couple of spots. They're really going to have to pull off some good trades. They, you know, as much as 2017 was amazing with all the stuff they did at the deadline, there's still more to go. And I, I, no, I no longer have this idea that this is maybe the most destined and most uh, you know, loaded rebuild of all time. I feel like they're going to have to be as precise and make as many great moves as all the other teams that have succeeded on this path because it's a very common path these days, have made. So it's a little bit, very much very essential things went right, but some things came into view that, you know, they're going to have to be precise. They're going to have to really kind of execute these next two years of offseason moves very well to succeed as much as they have, you know, they staked out that they want to down the road. Yeah, I see some frustrations popping up on social media, even during the season from some diehard fans that, you know. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah, it's And, like, I get it, but at the same time, it's like you're clearly just losing your patience, you know? Like, people were mustering up these angry moments where I'm like, okay, some of it's warranted, I understand, but it, it, there was some nastiness coming out because the the losses were piling up and people were just generating anger at everything White Sox related because they wanted it now, now, now. That's the way I saw it. You interact with a lot of these diehards on Twitter and online with the way everything is now. If you're a diehard fan, you can basically just create your own website and, quote, air quote, cover the team. Um, I don't know. What, what would your reaction be? Because some, some days it was so exhausting. I'm like, I don't even want to go on Twitter because I know what they're probably tweeting right now. And uh, I know a lot of the guys and stuff, but it's – it. There was bitterness at, at times from from some of these diehard Sox fans. I mean, yeah, uh, 
that's kind of the role of the fan, though, a little bit, right? Yeah, I'm not judging how they're being done. Nothing I hate more than people telling people how to be fans. I get that. But also, try to stay stay guided with it, I guess, or centered. I don't know. That's that's my take. But Yeah, I wish. But I, I then at the same time, I really can't put myself in their shoes anymore. It's been yeah. too long since I really thought in that way. And, yeah, there's been proven success with rebuilds. The idea that you know that it takes at least this long to kind of bear fruit and it's going to be this kind of wait toward, toward everything to start clicking. But at the same time, it's been 11 years since the last playoff spurt. It's been, uh, you know, seven seasons of losing in a row. There's no real reason for them to necessarily be patient with that. You know, right. I think everyone understands the plan. I think, you know, there's a lot of wide support about it being a necessity when they, where they were at in 2016, if they, unless they're going to have a huge hyper-aggressive infusion of free agent spending, which, you know, even then would probably prop up another team that wasn't very deep. And I think there's a lot of enthusiasm towards the core guys who have been established, but, you know, it, it's been a long time. It's been a long yeah. wait. It's been a lot of losing. I think it's kind of a natural process at this point. You know, would I wish that a lot more things got got read in good faith? Sure. I, I feel like uh, I try to be very fair of the team, but I feel like there's definitely you know legit areas to criticize and, and, and yeah. people latch onto that. And I, I, there's definitely reasons to be not fully satisfied. There's definitely questions that need to be answered this off season. But yeah, I, I, I try to accept it's just kind of a natural process to right. you know the the front office, the team is not going to necessarily do everything you want to do without you pushing them a little bit, without you indicating where you're dissatisfied. So it seems like a, a somewhat natural role to fan to always be a little bit more dissatisfied than maybe is warranted because you're trying to agitate for positive change. And this is really the only way you express yourself other than, you know, just being apathetic and disengaging. And, you know, some people, you know, bless them for that, are just too diehard to really ever let go to that degree. So negativity is kind of the way that you can you can push the team in the direction you want to go. And, you know, that's part of it. And I, I reserve the right to maybe not listen to it all the time for my sake of sanity. And I'm sure you kind of take those measures as well. But it, it, I just accept it as, you know, it's part of the game. I hear you. And uh, like I said, I, look, I never want to judge a fan and how the, it's sports for the love of God. Some people like to tell people how to be fans, what you can and can't wear at games. Like, whatever, it's sports. So I'm not judging it. I just think when you, people in the middle of a losing streak starts bringing up the fact that they haven't won in however amount of years, like, well, they can't fast forward to next season. So I get it. Everything you said is war, is valid. I, I get it. So, um, But you, you just kind of deal with it face-to-face on a, on a daily basis. So just curious your thoughts on, on that whole situation. All right, you mentioned free agency. Uh, uh, throw me some names that you think are realistic possibilities for the White Sox. I mean, I don't want to like shut down real, just purely on the basis of like realism, because by all means, it's like as low of a, as a returning payroll as anybody in the league. Garrett Cole is young; he's elite; he's in his prime. They should absolutely be in on that. They should absolutely be pursuing. Of course, every other team in the league is going to be on it, and you know I don't know what the you know the qualifications that Cole has on the, the team he pursues. I would bet it's more likely than not he goes elsewhere just because there's going to be so much competitive bidding. But I wouldn't want to say like, well, it's not realistic at Garrett Cole. They should try to do it. He, he fits everything they want to do. They need to not just you know slap on a veteran fifth starter I and mean, not to disparage Ivan Nova. They they need to have goals higher than just innings eating uh, and, and you know turning over uh, six decent innings and getting through the week, that's not their goal anymore. The goal is to really kind of upgrade the rotation as much as they can. 
probably more realistic is someone on the Jake Odorizzi tier who doesn't have necessarily the huge track record of a you know elite success or anything like that, but can be someone who would upgrade your rotation. See someone who's going to slide in the middle and give you quality innings and really have some potential to miss bats and not just going to be a, a pitch to contact guy. Rick Hahn is kind of outlined towards wanting two starters, which kind of seems weird given the fact that you know that he's already staked out that Giolito, Lopez, and, and Cease are three guys, and everyone's counting on Michael Kobach to be healthy. You don't necessarily need two starters, but given the fact that they haven't been finishing the year healthy and with five starters the last couple of years, I kind of think it's good to hear that he's going to be aggressive and try to stock that rotation with more they need. But really, I, if you're talking about the biggest offensive need, I would say it's or the biggest need, I would say it's offensive. I, I, I have more faith in them returning to some health pitching-wise in the rotation and filling that out than I do saying they're going to have an above-average hitting right fielder for DH next season if they don't add. I would say right fielder is a bigger need because it's theoretically always easier to find someone who can hit and not play a position, and there's a possibility. You know, Zach Collins, is, if you look at September, it was a league average hitter down the stretch with obviously some potential to grow more. So right field is probably the bigger you know need, but it'd probably be easier to upgrade DH with J.D. Martinez seemingly definitely opting out, and the fact that both his age and both the fact that he doesn't offer you much defensive utility means they'll drag his price down despite the fact that he's absolutely an elite bet more towards the range where we can see the White Sox spending. Marcelo Zuna, I think, even with the, the slow September to drag his overall numbers down, would be a great guy. Obviously, everyone across town will tell you that Nicholas Castellanos is someone who is a lot, brings a lot of value to the team. And you know, I, I would even argue there's a little bit more to that bat that can be untapped than maybe were in his six years in Detroit. Uh, even if I don't love his defense, I, I think that would be a, a – I've warmed to that, given what he did in the second half of the Cubs, more than if you asked me maybe three months ago. Um, yeah, I, I, those are kind of the guys I throw out there. It's, it's, talking to Han in his press conference, uh, you know, at the last week of the season, it seemed more like they weren't looking for a big ticket relief item. So I'd expect him to be more, you know, guys on the level of Evan Marshall, is who he mentioned with non-roster invites, and more hoping that maybe some of the relief steps led by Tyler Johnson can fill that in. But those are kind of. I don't, I don't necessarily see Cole happening. I don't think Anthony Rendon's happening, but the tier right below that, I feel like it's, it's yeah. welcome to uh, view the White Sox as being able to hit on that level, and they should. They really have the, the opportunity, and you know they have a, a team that's really, and the manager who's really ready to take a big step forward next year. Yeah, this is the precise time of a rebuild where an organization should spend money. When you're just about to turn the corner, you start sprinkling in some free agent signings. I... I I love Castellanos. All the names you mentioned I think would make a lot of sense. So I think the Sox will probably spend more than they ever have in free agency this offseason. I think that should get White Sox fans excited. Do you see a trade coming this offseason with the White Sox? I know nobody's really talking about that, but considering the amount of talent they do have, maybe an opportunity arises. Do you see that at all? Are you sniffing anything out, James? They're clearly like wanting to solve things on that market, and I think in their their ideal setting, they'd be able to trade from prospect depth to make some of the solutions. I maybe see it happening more on the reliever level, but you know, you don't have. I, I wouldn't like dismiss Blake Rutherford's career, but you don't have him coming off a huge monster year at Double A where you can put him as a centerpiece of a trade. You don't have that for, you know, Mike Rodolfo because of injuries. Uh, you don't have that for Luis Basabe because Jimmy Lambert got hurt. Dane Dunning got hurt. You don't have a ton of pitching depth that you can kind of make as a centerpiece 
uh, for a big deal for kind of a you know a right fielder or a starting pitcher who's really kind of impact. I really don't see someone who can really find a trade um, as a huge centerpiece prospect other than Andrew Vaughn, and I'm really not convinced that they would uh, you know deal with that. Uh, obviously, Robert and Luis Madrigal, or sorry, Dick Madrigal would also work as centerpieces, but I think those guys are your starting second baseman and starting center fielder for next year. So I don't think it's what you deal from. I think they more see Vaughn as kind of a long-term uh, replacement for Abreu, so I, I'd be surprised on that. I think a lot of the kind of guys they're comfortable parting with uh, in a deal are probably more guys who get you nice fly relievers or, or maybe some good veteran relievers more than there's somebody who can get you net your starting a right fielder for the next two or three years. So I could see a trade, but I think it'd be on a smaller level at this point rather than I see them landing their own Christian Yelich, which is you know probably the type of deal that we maybe foresaw for them at the start of 2018 where it seemed like they had a huge surplus of prospect depth that they'd been able to deal from. Maybe they wait and that wait for that to get healthy, maybe wait for some uh, return to performance to really kind of maybe pull it off midseason this coming year. But uh, I, I don't necessarily see it happening uh, this offseason. Talking with James Fegan from The Athletic here on White Sox Weekly. Okay, final thing. I'm going to run through the opening day roster, the starting lineup for the 2020 White Sox, and then you tell me where I'm wrong or where something might be different. Okay? Okay. You like that? A little fun game here. Left field, Eloy Jimenez. Center, Luis Robert. Right field will be your free agent signing, whoever that may be. Third base, Yoel Moncada. Shortstop, Tim Anderson. Maybe Nick Madrigal at second base, and then Jose Breu first, James McCann behind home plate. Go. You're telling me opening day? Yes. Those are my bold predict- predictions, James, that Luis Robert and Nick Madrigal will start opening day. I mean, I could see a similar situation with Robert working out the extension in, in spring training or before the season like LA. He's got, you know, 26 million less reasons to kind of really be convinced to do that. Uh, I feel like he's not someone who necessarily is as motivated to skip the arbitration process given how much they gave him up front and the fact he's kind of got the life-changing money already and that as a result would possibly you know stall him out to uh late april and hot already kind of indicated that madrigal would already be a little bit behind him so i would probably contest that you know maybe we see adam angle who you know hit a little bit better in september down the stretch opening day in center field or maybe some other sort of option or Larry garcia um I would probably, you know, being devil's advocate or kind of throwing water on the excitement a little bit, say Larry Garcia is the guy who gets held over and starts in second base in opening day, and then maybe you have Angle or, or, or another member of the outfield crop if they emerge um, starting in center field opening day. Obviously, I think the bulk of the time, I think over 100 games, over 110 games, uh, for second base and center field get manned by those two guys. Those are definitely the long-term solutions. Those are definitely reasons why they won't sign a second baseman or a center fielder in the free agency because they have, you know, definitely in Robert's case, and I can make a big argument that I think Nick Madrigal is more valuable than his numbers, and once everybody sees him play on a regular basis, they're going to love him because he does so many little smart things. Right. Like everybody who's ever had the grindy label, gritty, <laughs> right. grindy gamer level right. thrown on them, Madrigal's the real article. He, he's going to make he, them look like putzes. Like, he checks he, all the boxes. <laughs> Every absolutely. single box for the gritty player, that's Nick Madrigal. Um, all right, my man, that's James Fagan from The Athletic, theathletic.com. He Outstanding stuff this year, man. You are you are must read if you're a White Sox fan, baseball fan. You want to learn about the White Sox. Read James Fegan, F E G A N. What's your Twitter account? I don't have it handy. It's uh, J R Fegan, F E G A N. All right, try to get some rest, my man. It's uh, I know it's been a long season for you. A lot of great work. So uh, thanks for jumping on the show, and I will uh, 
Hopefully see you at spring training maybe before. Are you going to Arizona Fall League, by the way? Uh, it looks doubtful at this point. I'm just going to call every single prospect on the phone and then hash <laughs> out my work that way. There you go. That works. All right, James. Thanks so much for joining. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right. That is James Fegan from The Athletic. Uh, really, really great stuff. I can't stress enough that if you do want to know more about the White Sox, go read his stuff, theathletic.com, and uh, you will be a smarter White Sox fan for it. I'm Kevin Powell with you for a little over another 30 minutes, taking a special two-hour White Sox weekly up to 8 o'clock. We'll uh, get to the news here, and then uh, we'll kind of go around the table here on the back end of news and kind of recap this season. I'll give my thoughts and my grades on players and what I think they're going to do. I'll be my own guest for the final half hour. See where it goes. This is White Sox Weekly on 720 WGN. Back at Guaranteed Rate Field. And we just got the announcement and a video on the board out there that says AL batting champion Tim Anderson. It is official. Uh, it was foregone for me. But, yes, it is official right now. Tim Anderson getting a standing ovation throughout this ballpark and from his teammates. And Anderson steps out in front of the White Sox dugout and acknowledges all of the fans. No Sunday scaries here on WGN. White Sox Weekly rolls on. That's a cool moment from the 2019 White Sox season. Tim Anderson winning the batting crown. First Sox player to do that since the Big Hurt 1997. Only the fourth time ever in Sox history. And he's just the third player ever in franchise history uh, to win the American League bat- batting title. I'm Kevin Powell with you until 8 o'clock. That's when Karen Conti shows up and answers your legal questions. So get those in. 312 981 7,200. They'll be uh, taking your calls, taking your texts, and Karen uh, always does a great job Sunday nights at getting those responses to you. If you do want to chime in on anything White Sox related, baseball related, I'm here. You're stuck with me for the next 25 minutes or so. Eh, about a little over 30, a little less than 30 minutes. I'll be here till 8 o'clock. So thank you for tuning in to White Sox Weekly. Hope you had a great weekend. It is a beautiful Sunday here in Chicago. You, you heard the Tim Anderson clip. And um, and thank you to Alan Pappy, who's producing the program this, this evening. He's done a great job behind the glass, uh, doing some production work and some great stuff all White Sox season as we put a bow on 2019. Um Look, Tim Anderson had a lot of doubters. He did not have a great season last year, but, man, has he become a fan favorite or what? Saw a picture of him and Khalil Mack out together. He's really turning into a star, and I think he embraces it. I think he embraces that he can be a lightning rod or a bit of controversy. I mean, some of the old-time baseball folks don't like the some of the, how would I put it, uh, New Age baseball is played, or at least certain things that go on during the game, bat flips, celebrations, things like that. It's just like a debate we have in any sport. The old-timers are going to be mad because it's uh, they don't want to tarnish the game that they grew up loving, while younger kids and younger generations are totally okay with it and accepting to it. I mean, I guess that shows you where baseball is at, that a guy cheering a little bit and throwing throwing a bat after a home run. Like I, I believe there's a time and a place for it. I get it. Right, you're not every home run. You're not screaming and pumping your chest and doing a bat flip. But if it's a go-ahead homer late in the game, if it's a walk-off, like come on, who cares? That's fun. It's funny to see stuff like that. Tim Anderson embraced it, and everything he said he was going to do, he did. American League batting title, Tim Anderson. Who would have thought that happened? Now he does need to work on some things defensively, but he really is becoming a star around the league. And you know, he's another guy that you look at the, this organization where it's headed. He's a key piece. 
Tim Anderson, shortstop of the future for the White Sox. I believe that's your guy. He's got to get better defensively. If you're going to be a championship team, you have to be good defensively. Like, really, really good. I'm sounding like a Little League coach here. Defense wins championships. But it's true. I mean, every year you look at teams that do well and and, and go deep into the playoffs, they do do all that stuff. They really do. So Tim Anderson's got to have better at shortstop. I thought Yoan Okada made some strides at third base. He had been telling us in the spring how much he loves playing third base. He played third base much of his time in Cuba, um, in the Cuban National League. So he claims to be a gold glove winning Cuban national player, but uh, I'm not sure if those actually exist, as Rick Hahn said, if they have gold gloves down in Cuba. But uh, he was convinced he could play well there. And it was very clear that when he made that move and the Machado stuff kind of moved on and Tim Anderson, it was clear that he's your shortstop and Yoel Machado can settle it at third. Man, was he fun to watch this year from both sides of the plate because he had, he had struggled um, you know, batting from the right side of the plate. But he, he fixed that this year. And man, he just looks so calm up there for a guy that's in his what fourth fourth year, third full season. He looked like a veteran this year. He looked like everything we thought he could be. If you're going to trade a Chris Sale to the Boston Red Sox, you better get a player like Yoma oh, Mokata. Last year was frustrating. A lot of fans got frustrated. I don't know if frustrating is the right word, but uh, I think we put expectations on these players fairly or unfairly, and if they don't perform right away, we immediately like to rush to judgment. It's like a certain football player in town. That's a bit of a hot rod topic as well. We won't get into that, though. That was a tough one today. Um, so I think sometimes it, it, it does take time to let these guys settle in and be themselves. Not everybody's going to be the Juan Soto of the Nationals who is a stud when he's 19 years old. Everybody develops differently. So Sox remained patient with Yoma Mokata. They allowed him to move to third. His approach didn't seem to change a ton, at least in terms of his... His um, you know, stance and things like that and technique, but uh, he really settled in, and I really enjoyed watching Yoan Moncada play baseball this year. And tip of the iceberg for him, I think he's got. Uh, I don't know if he's ever going to hit for enough power to be in an MVP conversation, but he's certainly looking like a perennial All Star type player that the White Sox have on their hands. That should get you excited. If you're a White Sox fan, individual growth was the main key here in 2019. I know, again, as I mentioned about 100 times here, and throughout the season, I know it can be frustrating at times seeing a team lose so many games, but larger picture, you got to keep that in mind. 2020, to me, does really feel like like a, a reasonable ex- expectations have to have going into spring training is that the 2020 White Sox can contend for a playoff position. I don't see why that would be out of the picture. Absolutely. You look at Eli Jimenez, 31 homers as a rookie. He struggled at times. There was a learning curve, but he hung in there. He ended up putting up a pretty solid year numbers-wise. Defensively, again, he's another one that needs some work out in left field. But ton of fun to watch. He had that moment at Wrigley when he hit the go-ahead home run, broken bat under the lights, electric atmosphere. It was there that night. It was there with the whole gang, me, Roe. Lauren, Anna, and those are the moments you see and you say, oh, okay, you kind of get that smirk on your face if you're a Sox fan that says, okay, this is what we've kind of been waiting for. This is what we suffered through for a couple of years. So um, you know, to see moments like that, I think, really gets you excited uh, if you're a White Sox fan. Lucas Giolito is one of the best pitchers in baseball this year. He was an all-star. I know he got shut down, he had a couple injuries here and there, but overall, Lucas Giolito had a really good year. It's a guy to be excited about, for sure. 
Look at James McCann's season. Not necessarily a young core player, but look, he's a veteran catcher. You need guys like that when you have young pitching staff, when you have a young pitching staff. I mean, you look at what the pitching staff could be next year. You could have Giolito, your ace. You could have Michael Kopech, Dylan Cease. Who am I missing? Pappy, who am I missing? What were the fourth? So we got, we've got Giolito, we've got a Kopech, we've got a Cease, Ronaldo Lopez. Yeah, there's your four. And then we'll see what they do free agent-wise. Garrett Cole's the big fish. If you're wondering, who could the White Sox add this offseason? The Houston Astros ace, Garrett Cole, is an absolute stud. He's going to be entering free agency after this season. I'm interested to see how much he gets. I don't know if the White Sox are going to be willing to spend or outbid other teams. But, I mean, this is a guy... And again, I hate to bring up the Cubs on White Sox Weekly, but you look back to when the Cubs were able to lure John Lester to the north side and how much of a statement signing that was. That's all the rest of the league. The Cubs are for real, and they're coming. I think, I'm not necessarily saying you need that. Like, that's a must-have. Every rebuild is going to be different. But this is the exact time, if you're the White Sox, if you're Rick Hahn, if you're Jerry Reinsdorf, this is the time you spend. It just feels right because next year you do think you can be a contender. I think for a lot of these young players, it's probably a little frustrating losing so many games. They'll appreciate it more when they do win. But they're right there. They're right around the corner. And Some of these free agent signings is what can uh, help them uh, get to the next level. So uh, a lot to be excited about this season. Again, I mentioned the win total doesn't get you all that thrilled, but... Uh, they certainly uh, gave you enough, I think, enough ammunition to get you thrilled for 2020 White Sox baseball and spring training. So good things happening for the White Sox in 2019. Uh, still a little bit more to come on White Sox Weekly. Karen Conti is standing by. I can see her prepping with her producers. She gets ready to answer all your legal questions. 312-981-7200 if you got anything teed up for Karen. Always enjoy listening to her insight uh, Sunday nights. Sox games are better with a group. It's never too early to lock in your 2020 group package from a diamond suite to a pregame patio party. We've got the perfect space for your occasion. For more information, visit whitesox.com or call 312-674-1000. More to come on White Sox Weekly on 720 WGN. A high fly ball into deep left field. Schwarber turns and looks and it's gone. Eloy Jimenez has just hit a two-run bomb. And it's 3-1 to one White Sox. Jimenez floats around the bases here at Wrigley Field in his first ever game against his former team. I don't think his feet have touched the ground yet. There will not be a better feeling for him. He will remember that home run. It's just one you just want to remind your former mates, look what I can do. That was a fun one. That was a fun one. Outstanding producing by Alan Pappy. I referenced the Eloy homer. He popped it up and cranked it out right after the break. Great work, Pappy. Eloy Jimenez, that was that homer at Wrigley Field. I was at that game. I was up in the press box, and since uh, we carry White Sox games, we had a radio booth for the series, and Adam Hogue was doing the postgame show that night. I was walking from the press box seating area where the reporters sit through the hallway. Very dated press box at Wrigley Field. Does not have air conditioning, FYI. Can get a little muggy in there. Anyway, I'm walking over and uh, just before the Eloy bat, I'm like, all right, I'm going to go get a better look at this. I'm going to go sit in our radio booth front and center. And the second I walked in, 
I mean, the second I walked in, the pitch came to Eloy and he ripped it to left. And Adam, the look on Adam Hogue's face was just pure joy. I'm like, dude, that's that was pretty wild. He's like, I knew that was coming. I called it. I'm like, I'm sure he did. So did all Sox fans at, before that moment. So it was it was such a cool, uh, I think, thing. I obviously not for Cub fans, but uh, look, if you're a baseball fan, you got to appreciate that uh, the guy the Cubs traded to the White Sox. Look, that's a trade that I think has benefited both teams and will benefit both teams, maybe a little bit longer for the White Sox, but I think it was I was hollering for that deal to be made before it did, and I thought it made a ton of sense. So uh, anyway, that, uh, that was a special night. Eli's first game back, uh, first game at Wrigley, and he homers to left, basically the game-winning homer. Wasn't well, a walk-off, but obviously because they were on the road, but that was a special moment. And then after the game... I remember we walked over to where we we go for the away team clubhouse at Wrigley Field because we were all like, we're going to go talk to Eloy tonight. Everyone wanted to talk to Eloy and be in the White Sox clubhouse. And I remember there's so many reporters. And the press box is fun for the White Sox-Cubs series because all the reporters are together and everybody kind of knows each other. Sometimes we go up maybe for an adult pop after. So it's always a kind of a cool experience. But there's there's so many reporters because all the think about all the Cubs beat reporters, all the Sox beat reporters, the columnists. Everybody wants to come out for Cubs Sox, especially in a game like that. At Wrigley under the lights, Eloy Jimenez, et cetera, et cetera. The storylines were there. There was a ton of them. There was a ton of layers to that game in that series. But there were so many reporters that we went to the door, which is through one of the tunnels to get to the 100-level section at Wrigley down the right field line. can't remember exactly which one it is. Um... But all there were so many of us. So there's a door you walk in, and then you make a right, and you walk upstairs, to, and then you go to the clubhouse. That's how it's set up for the, for at least for the away team. Uh, for the for the Cubs clubhouse, you actually go to a downstairs and then walk. So for but the away team's clubhouse at Wrigley, you got to go through this door, through the tunnel, through the door, make a right, go upstairs, and you're at the clubhouse. And uh, there were so many of us that to get into the door, it was a huge line. So we were just packed along the tunnel line. And all the fans were filing out that night. And you heard in that clip how many uh, Sox fans that were. And I didn't think there were that night because walking around, I'm like, yeah, the Cubs are, you know, Sox, are, Sox fans are pretty outnumbered, uh, understandably so, at Wrigley. But when you hit that homer, it was just a different sort of sound. Sometimes you just hear a, you hear a stadium or arena and you can just tell that's a different sort of moment. So anyways, we're all waiting to go into the, the Cubs, uh, for the White Sox clubhouse at Wrigley. And there were so many of us, it was basically filtered out like into the concourse at Wrigley. So it was a wonderful experience for us reporters waiting to get into the clubhouse because you had Sox fans who were, Sox fans who were thrilled and you had Cub fans who were very upset walking out of Wrigley, filing out of Wrigley after the Sox took that game. And uh, it was interesting. It was interesting. There were some fans who, who were, were talking, talking some trash to us reporters as if we just ruined their, their night. <laughs> we're like, we're just doing our job. Leave us alone. But I understand emotions were running high that night for a lot of different reasons. Um, but uh, here we are, both teams out of the playoffs. Hopefully uh, this time next year we're talking about Chicago White Sox playoff baseball. It's been a minute, folks. It's been a while since we've seen that on the south side. I think a lot of fans are itching. They are itching. 2008's last postseason berth for your Chicago White Sox. So that is a long, long, long time. I would be surprised uh, if the White Sox aren't in playoff contention. Considering the steps that were made by Tim Anderson, Yomakata, Eloy, 
And the progress they made, you got to figure they're, go- they're still going to get better. And then you factor in all the free agents that they're going to bring in. I'm not saying it's going to be so many amount. It could be, you know, quality over quantity, which is great. Maybe they do land a Garrett Cole. What if they do land a Garrett Cole? I think everybody says, whoa, 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 okay. I mean, the White Sox were prepared to throw $275 million at Manny Machado last offseason. They didn't land him, but I understand. They showed their willingness to spend money, real money. That's that's a major contract to take on, around $300 million. It would have been over three hundred with, with uh, if you hit certain uh, bonuses and things like that. So that to me, that says, okay, well, they're willing to spend money. Uh, I don't know if that sort of player is out there this offseason who's going to get a $300 million contract. I don't. Uh, Garrett Cole's the big fish, and you're not going to... I shouldn't say this, because maybe someday it'll happen, but it's a major difference between signing a position player and a pitcher. Pitcher plays once every five days. Position player gives you more value. They do. I mean, pitching is probably the most important component uh, in baseball, pitching and defense. Again, Little League coach Kevin here. Defense wins championships, folks. So... But Garrett Cole, I'm thinking, I don't know, six years, seven years, $200 million. But the market's been weird the past two years. I mean, think how long we had to wait for some of those guys to sign and commit to teams. And some guys like Dar- Dallas Keuchel got a one-year deal after spring training. And that's a Cy Young winner from just a few years ago. Fact check that for me, Peppy. Keuchel's got a Cy Young award, doesn't he? So it, it'll be interesting to see how the market plays out. How much does Garrett Cole get? There's the J.D. Martinez's of the world who would be a D.H. power bat type guy. Might be able to play a little bit in the field for you in right field. But I think for the most part, positionally, you're, you're looking good for the White Sox. Eloy in left, center field. We'll see Luis Robert eventually, whether it's the start of the season or down the road. Right field, you figure is your free agent signing, your big one of your big position free agent signings, maybe a Nick Castellanos, who we got to know very well. He played on the north side a little bit this year. And then Yohan at third, uh, Tim Anderson at short, and uh, we'll see. Nick Madrigal probably at some point. So things looking up for your Chicago White Sox. That's going to do it for White Sox Weekly. We have news coming up. Appreciate you tuning in. I am uh, Kevin Powell. Mark Carmen was here earlier. Scott Merkin from MLB.com as well. Uh, read his stuff. He was actually poolside. Are we are we podcasting this whole thing, Pappy? Okay, Alan Pappy, who thank you to him very much. He did a great job this evening.